Artsville, Artsville, the happening town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, from Asheville town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, feeling mountain high and inspiring North Carolina. That's where you'll find us, amazing artists and designers. Oh yeah, Artsville from Asheville. Welcome to Artsville, the podcast that celebrates American contemporary arts and crafts from Asheville, North Carolina, and beyond. I am your host, Scott Power, and on this podcast, we love to talk about our friends in Asheville and figure out how Asheville became Artsville. And I am here with my lovely and tireless co-host, Louise Glickman. Hey, Louise. Hey, I don't know about that tireless one today. (laughs) Well, I know. I'm exhausted. (laughs) We're both burning the candle, not just at both ends, but in the middle. You know, it's it's crazy times for us right now. That's okay. It just means good things are happening. Well, I tell you what, we're going down fighting. That's for sure, right? <laughs> I'm not going down. Speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. My wife is always telling me, why are you fighting in your sleep? Because, well, because I'm trying to do two things at once, trying to rest and trying to continue the fight, you know. Well, I'm just so great we're here together again to talk about this fantastic episode that we have here on Artsville. And this was a little bit different because we, you know, his, you know, we tend to talk about or talk, tend to talk to artists and and you know, discuss their practice and discuss our mutual love and admiration for all things Asheville. But today we actually sure we're going to talk about Asheville and and all that great stuff, but but we we're actually talking to a collector today. Well, not only are we talking to a collector today, we're talking to a collector who is used to doing podcasts and Zoom presentations and all kinds of things. Merrily Orsini is quite an amazing gal, and she has a fabulous partner, well, husband now, Rick Heath, and they actually fell in love through art collecting. So they will proudly show you when you go to their fabulous house full of glass in a restored but large log cabin home. They will show you a piece that they battled over and then decided they needed to share it. And then they got married. (laughs) And now they permanently share it. I just love that story. That is an amazing story, right? It's like, well, we both love this art so much. I guess we we need to figure out how to love each other. (laughs) 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 That is such a great story. It's great. And merely because she's head of the Contemporary Alliance for Glass Artists and Art, she handles these weekly handled these weekly zoom sort of presentations and she she is just a powerhouse but rick is very accomplished in his own way and in addition to this podcast they are going to be presenting on the day before the podcast release actually a discussion group at blue spiral one here in asheville 
on the art of collecting. And it's not just about collecting glass, it's about collecting art. All these things apply, but it just so happens that Blue Spiral One, who we have also done a podcast with at Artsville, is run by our friend Michael Maines. And they have just a wonderful collection of glass there. So we will have this event up in this very special room that was John Cram's office. John Cram was the founder of so many things, art in Asheville, but particularly known for Blue Spiral One. And we're going to gather up in what was his office, a sunlit room with fabulous glass on every sill. So it's going to be pretty special. Now, when is the date for that again? Friday, October 14th. We'll get together at 1130 and sort of do a meet up, greet up kind of thing. And then from 12 to 1, we will do our presentation in person and also with Zoom. So I can forward to you, Scott, a Zoom link and people all over can listen to more about the art of collecting. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, how exciting is that? I think, you know, because it's one of those areas, right, that people are, I think, really curious about. It's like they feel like, oh, wait a minute, I'm maybe not rich enough or educated enough or fancy enough to collect art, when in fact, that's so not true. And the idea that you guys are going to be talking, you know, collecting art and why people collect art and how people, you know, might think about collecting art. I mean, that's such a, I think, a rich and important area, because by the way, you know, artists you know, make a living by people buying their art and we need more people buying their art. And, you know, if you see something you love, buy it. Well, I think that an important point here is that people can buy art and start to understand about collecting without having to spend huge amounts of money. A large portion of the art that's bought or that's available is $5,000 to $1,000 to you know, a hundred dollars. And collecting, people who collect, they don't necessarily have a lot of money. They just have things that they love. They get inspired. We can find out more and learn more on the internet, where to go, where to buy, what to look for. And I think that that's very critical to this discussion. Just where do you start if you're interested in a collection? A collection of any kind. I mean, this will apply to glass, certainly, but it runs the gamut. Well, I'm thinking of Herb and Dorothy Vogel, right? I mean, if there's anybody that personifies what you're talking about, it's that couple. And anybody that knows their story, there's there's that amazing documentary about them. But here were these working class people in New York, you know, husband and wife, Herb and Dorothy, and they just had a passion for art. And they literally, over their lives, collected all of this art at prices that were you know in the hundreds you know you know they they were working class they didn't have a lot of money but they just loved art and they went around they met artists and they bought they bought this art in their apartment their little condo little apartment in new york just filled up with art and when they passed recently you know all of that art had to be valued and archived and turns out their collection was worth tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars but they bought it all because they loved it and they bought it for you know a few bucks here and there directly from artists so you know fear not our friends you know you too can collect art 
And by the way, people should check out that documentary, Herb and Dorothy, about Herb and Dorothy Vogel. But anyway, I'm so grateful to have Marilee on today. And by the way, Marilee is sort of a heavyweight. I mean, not just is she like a heavyweight in the art world as a collector and, you know, those artworks, some of those artworks are very heavy weights, but a bad, bad joke. Anyway, so not only is she was president of the international, what was it? The International <laughs> Society of Glass Artists, I forget. It's, it's the Alliance of Contemporary Glass Artists. Uh, or that, or that. Yeah, and I, then, yeah. I have it right, but that's close enough. Yes, yes. But she was... You know, she was a very successful professional entrepreneur and worked, uh, you know, in other industries, I think healthcare specifically. So, well, it's she's a huge achiever. By the way, you never call a woman a heavyweight, but that's just. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, now. Now that you're making me look bad, uh, you know, Louise, my partner in crime, you're throwing me under the bus here, man. Come on. <laughs> but Barely, who is absolutely amazing, has built a huge company called Core Cubed. And she does mention it on the podcast. So, you know, we can go there and let her talk about it. I don't know how she accomplishes all she does each and every day, but she is the one who's inspired me to do the Arts Bill podcast with you. So she's very much a part of what we're doing, and I'm so glad that we've had this chance to interview her. Absolutely. She's classing up the joint today coming on the show, and I'm just so grateful that she's on. Shall we get into this episode? Absolutely. Let's do it. Fantastic. Without further ado, let's hear from the one and only Marilee Orsini. Marilee Orsini, welcome to Artsville. Well, thank you, Scott. I'm so happy to be here today. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. I mean, my God, it's not quite frankly, we have amazing guests, but you know, I got to say, you're a VIP, my friend. Uh, I'm so (laughs) grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule to come and talk about our mutual love for art and craft, and in, in your case, very specifically, glass, and also, even more specifically, our mutual love for Asheville, and talking about how Asheville became Artsville. This is wonderful. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so where are we finding you today? Where Are you at home? Are you at the office? Where, where are we finding you? Well, I am at home, which is also the office, in Asheville. In my, I bought a log home in Asheville in 2013 and restored it. And my husband and I moved here from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I moved down in 2016 and he moved down in 2018. So I am looking out at the beautiful North Carolina mountains with the trees just starting to turn. And by the time this goes live, I think we'll be in full bore fall leaf season here in Asheville. So Marilee, you have to, yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You have to ask a tough question here because uh, I noticed that you left two years before your husband. Were you disappointed when he showed back up two years later? <laughs> I was thrilled. I was thrilled. No comment. Um, no comment. You don't have to answer. Well, he grew up in Essex Fells, New Jersey, and moving to Asheville was something neither one of us ever thought that we would do. Actually, we never thought we'd move. So it uh, took a little, little convincing and a little renovation to get him down here. But uh, he's really happy to be here now and loves Asheville as much as I do. Indeed, indeed. So why Asheville? Was it because of your love and passion for collecting art? 
uh, collecting glass art or was it a business uh, intention? Were you just looking to slow down a little bit and get out of the hubbub of Louisville? Like why Asheville specifically? (laughs) Because I have four grandchildren here. Oh, there you go. All within walking distance of my house. So that was the the impetus. I did not want them growing up without uh, my being in their lives. So Everyone, the whole family's here. So How cool is that? They literally can walk to your house. All four grandkids can walk to your house. That is amazing. Yes. Yes. Now, the little ones probably need some assistance because of the bears, but the big ones come <laughs> can walk by themselves all the time. Excellent. Well, that's that's wonderful. It sounds like the, your, the quality of your life grew exponentially over the last several years. So that's wonderful, my friend. You know, in quality of life, you know, it's interesting. You know, I think we live in a time where... You know, if you buy into the hype and the hysteria, we talk about our culture seems to talk more about the quantity of things versus the quality of things. And, you know, and for me anyway, I've always sort of envisioned having a, a, there was a certain quality of life that I wanted for myself that had really little to do with money or, or possessions per se. But I knew that, for example, art and culture for me and specifically things like music, were, you know, would be, would add to the quality of my life. And you as an art lover, as an art collector, I'm guessing feel very rich yourself in terms of uh, how art and your passion for art has brought in a quality or brought a quality to your life that, that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So, you know, take the microphone, you know, for a few minutes and talk about what art does for you and the quality of life that it enhances for you and your passion for collecting. I mean, why art, Marilee? Well, why not? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's a very zen answer. That's (laughs) fantastic. You know, Asheville probably has more makers per square mile than any place else. And I don't know if that's a statistic that can be verified, but it certainly feels like it here. It's a very, when we moved here, I told you we moved here because of grandchildren, but we had already been in the area a lot. My younger son went to camp here, and so we were in Asheville when he was Uh, I guess he started going to Mondamon when he was eight years old. So I was in Asheville a lot and aware of the art scene here. And then the Penland School of Crafts, which is about an hour away from Asheville up in Spruce Pine, we had been to the Penland auction and visited Penland. So that was also a love. And it's just the anywhere you go in Asheville, you find art. And we were thrilled. Gosh, I guess it was probably 15 years ago, Bender Gap gallery was an all-glass gallery, and that was a find. We still go to Bender Gallery. It's still there. It's moved now. It's over on on Main Street on Biltmore Avenue, but wonderful glass artists represented there. And then Blue Spiral One and Momentum are additional galleries that have lots of crafts, but they also have glass as one of their components. So we can, at a moment's notice, just you know, go find art. And you ask what it does for me. It's almost ethereal. You know, I mean, I love to look at it. I, you're not supposed to touch it, but I love to touch it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's what one of our rules bad, in our bad house. Bad art collector, bad. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have a rule, don't touch the art. But with glass, glass is 3D and it's tactile. And not only can you look through it and does it change in different types of light, but it also does 
have the surface area oftentimes that really just invites touching and feeling. So, and during COVID, my goodness, during COVID, it was looking at art, experiencing art was peaceful, it was healing, and it was almost as healing as the forest breathing that we also did here during COVID. So, so it's just uh, it's something that brings joy, it's beautiful, and I continue to love the different ways that glass is being used in art. So have you ever blown glass yourself? No. Well, <laughs> well, that's interesting that's that you true. haven't uh, taken any <laughs> lessons or, you know, explored that. I made a Christmas ornament once and it was very unsatisfying. So I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done it again. You know, it's so technical and it looks easy, but it's really not. And I don't know if you've ever seen Blown Away. It's a Netflix sure, series. Sure, sure. Yep. But if you see what those artists do, it, I mean, it, there's no way that anyone could do that on just a part-time kind of, you know, practice. And so, no, I don't, I garden, that's my, that's my art. Well, that, and that, that's, yeah, that's a, a lovely art form as well. So your passion for glass, specifically your passion for collecting glass, has kind of made you an expert in the medium in many ways. And, you know, and what a cool thing that is. I mean, you've just recently ended your tenure as president of the Art Alliance for Contemporary Glass. I mean, that's what an honor to be able to be voted in as president. You know, talk about your role there and the role of the Art Alliance for Contemporary Glass and how important it is, you know, in the practice of glass art making. Well, the Art Alliance for Contemporary Glass is basically a collector's group. And there are other collectors group. There is a Wood Collectors Association and the James Renwick Alliance is a collectors organization as well. But the Art Alliance for Contemporary Glass is obviously just about glass. And when Rick and I started our love for glass before we were married, we've been married 25 years now and his first wife died and when we were dating we explored you know how you when you're forming a relationship and you try to find things you have in common and what we had in common was our love of art and before we were even engaged we had gone to an auction at the Kentucky Museum of Art and Craft and there was a Stephen Roth Powell beautiful piece it's hard to describe because it sort of looks like a derriere it's a it's a sculpture but if you look at it it looks like a derriere and and the name of it was sultry buns smith so it's a highly colorful very large very voluptuous looking piece of glass and rick and i looked at it the price was higher than either one of us had ever paid for any kind of art before and we looked at each other and said you know if we split this piece of art it only costs half as much so we put a bid in on it and we got it and then of course we had to get married because we had a piece of glass that uh, that we both own but we so we came into our love of art because we both were looking for something we could share together, glass sort of found its way to us. And I would say it took a couple of years before we actually realized we were collecting. And the 25 years we've been married, we have spent traveling, learning about art, meeting the artists, 
being very active in the Art Alliance for Contemporary Glass because we found other collectors there and people who were willing to share their knowledge and share their collections and just invited us into the fold and into their homes. So we have very, very good, long-term loving friends in that group. But the other thing that the Art Alliance does is it really does promote all of the activities in glass art all around the world. And it puts people together who like glass and who can talk about it. I mentioned now every Friday at one o'clock, there is a a Zoom meeting and it goes, I mean, it's either interviewing artists or showcasing exhibits or traveling around the world. It's a, a wonderful, a wonderful organization if you're interested in glass to belong to. So do you know how many pieces in your collection at this point? You know, <laughs> I, you don't, I don't. Well, and we've given some away to museums and we've transitioned some. When we moved, we downsized a little bit. So I don't really know how many we have. Um, I would say probably around 200, somewhere between 200 and 300 at this point. <laughs> somewhere between <laughs> 200 and 1,000. I'm not sure. Um, no, that is that is quite something. But here's the thing. You mentioned a minute ago, there's a bit of a sort of an ironic catch-22 here, because on one hand, you have this, you know, incredible collection of, you know, fragile, beautiful, uh, incredible artworks of glass, and then you live in a log cabin, you know, and this, there's this uh, kind of irony, or log home, you said, I guess. So the fact that, you know, there's an interesting juxtaposition. So I got to just be frank, how the hell do you display you know, your glass artwork collection in a, in a log cabin. I mean, <laughs> please explain. A lot of very specific lighting <laughs> that is targeted for the glass. When we decided on the log house, and the reason we decided on it was it literally was right in between my two kids and allowed the grandkids to to walk over. So that's how we selected the location, not for the house. <laughs> it was really for the location. So we found a lighting expert. His name was David Terry. And he, at the time, I, I think this is funny, but I'll say it. He was doing a lighting project at the Biltmore Estate, which, as you know, is the largest home in America. So he was doing two projects. One was the Biltmore Estate and one was our log house. So he is a, a lighting expert and he came in. I don't know if you know about wood houses, but they, there's no reflection of light. So the light just stops. So you really have to be very focused on how the house is lit and how the art is lit. We bought display cases that are lit, and then we have specific lighting for each of the pieces so you can actually see them. Because without sunlight and without light, glass is just dull. Looks like a bottle as opposed to some piece of art. But it does, we continue to do that. We continue to light and add lighting if we, because we're continuing to buy, I hate to say, but we are continuing to buy. So as we bring other things in, we have to also light them and display them. So, you know, it's interesting because some listeners might be sort of cringing over the fact that you've got this amazing art collection that's, you know, potentially very fragile and you've got four grandkids running around. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> so they must be tempted sometimes to uh, to touch and play with the art. Do you, uh, is that allowed? Is that against the rules? How do you handle it? 
Well, the main rule in the house is don't touch the art, and they know that. <laughs> and when we renovated the house, on the main floor of the house, we put made certain that the art was elevated. So it's in places where they, if they could hurt it, they can't reach it. So it's basically the, and all the pieces we have on the main floor are the pieces that can't hurt them and that they can't hurt. <laughs> and then right. we have a room downstairs that's literally a hidden room. It's my husband's office and it's behind a close, it's a bookcase. So if you come into the room, all you see is the bookcase. Well, it's a hidden door. So the bookcase opens and you can go into his office, which has all of the glass art that could hurt you and that they could hurt. And they are absolutely not allowed in there unless they are under strict supervision with an adult on both sides. <laughs> so they can't flail their arms or touch anything. So, But for the rest of the house, they're okay with it. No ball throwing. That's right. <laughs> Mom said, yeah, well, look, Mom <laughs> said no playing ball, ball in the house. Um, no balls in the house. That's right. awesome. What a wonderful uh, experience for the kids, right? To be around this amazing art and to experience this art and absorb the culture and the skill and the creativity. What a wonderful gift you're, you're giving them, you know, either at least indirectly, if not directly. And that's a beautiful thing. So, you know, a lot of people might be listening who have not started their glass collection and wondering, you know, about some sort of, you know, basic fundamentals of collecting artwork uh, or glass artworks. Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, for the beginner collector, for the neophyte, and they're new to collecting glass, you know, what are some key things that people need to keep in mind? Well, the first thing I think is that you absolutely need to love it. Don't ever buy anything unless you absolutely love it. And Rick and I have a rule here that we have to both love it. So we it doesn't come in the house unless we both are really crazy about it. We don't buy it unless we're both really crazy about it. So I think that'd be the first rule. The other thing is, it's like anything, you really need to learn about the artist, to learn about the technique, to visit museums, to visit galleries, to travel and meet the artist and watch them work. I think understanding, the, and particularly glass more than, than what we call flat art paintings, but things that are made, that are handmade, you really need to be involved in the process in order to appreciate it. So, And, you know, once you know the artist and you understand the work, it's like there's an artist here in North Carolina named Kenny Piper. And actually, I think it's Kenny Peeper. (laughs) You say Peeper, I say Piper. I say Piper, right. (laughs) But he does some cane work that's called reticello. And if you look at it, it's very fine lines and in that intersect. So they're making little diamonds. And in each of those little diamonds is a dot. And that reticello, that dot is a little air bubble, but it's almost like magic. And when you actually know how that's done and watch them blow and watch the end result, you can't imagine that anyone could actually do that. So a lot of glass, it's not just blown glass, there's fused glass, there's cast glass, there's slumped glass, there's glass is such a variable form that can be put in so many ways. And there's an artist named Karen Lamont, and she makes female figures, but she doesn't actually do the figure. She has 
female figures that are clothed in flowing gowns, but you there's no head or arms or feet or anything. You're just seeing this beautiful female form in these folded fabrics, but it's all glass. And when you see that, you honestly can't believe it's glass. So glass is just a material that can have so many shapes and forms that it is just mesmerizing when you see it. So as a as a new collector, just exploring all the different ways that glass is used and, and watching the artist. Now, obviously, you can't watch Karen Lamont because she casts it. So that's not a very fun thing to watch because well, then they cast the glass and then they put it in an annealer oven for weeks. And so there's not a lot of action going on. But as a new collector, I think it really just you owe it to yourself to explore and don't buy something unless you absolutely love it and you made a comment earlier about quality over quantity and in glass that would be my recommendation too whatever your budget is I would be cautious that within that budget you are actually getting something that you love and that is a very good example of whatever it is that you're that you're purchasing. Mm, there's so much goodness there. Thank you for that. And your first point is something that I, you know, talked myself uh, with other people about in terms of just, you know, they ask, you know, what's the number one kind of thing to keep in mind when, when, when collecting art. I said, you got to love it. Number one, <laughs> you know, and that's wonderful to see that it, it applies to, to, of course, you know, glass collecting as well, because, you know, you, you need to, well, A, with glass, right, you're looking at it every day, but you're probably going to dust it every day too. So you better love it. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of your collection, are there artists that you go back to again and again? Do you have multiple pieces from several artists or do you like to collect? Who are some of your favorite artists and do you have multiple pieces from those artists? We do have multiple pieces from some artists, but that was not intentional, I don't think. I'd say the most we, I think Monica Gugusberg and Philip Baldwin are artists that they now live in Scotland, I believe, or Wales. And we have more of their pieces than anyone else's. So we probably have six or seven of their pieces. We bought those from a guy named Barry Friedman, who had a gallery in New York and it just so happened that every time we went into Barry Friedman's gallery, we saw one of their pieces and we, and we loved it. And that was very early on in our, our collecting. And then we got to go visit them. They at the time were living in Paris and we had a young friend, Jonathan Swans, who was gaffing for them. He was doing a residency at their studio. Uh, their gaffing. Mar- Marilee, I got, I'm going to stop you and interrupt you. You said gaffing. What is gaffing? Uh, it's helping out in the glass blowing. So you're, if you've watched Blown Away, you see the maestro or the glass blower is doing one thing, but then it's heavy if you're blowing. So people are having the glass at the end of the blowpipe and they're sticking it in the glory hole and bringing it out and doing the heavy lifting. So gaffing is really assisting the maestro with the work. So anyway, we got to meet them and spend time with them. And and since then, we have continued that relationship. So, and I've just totally forgotten what the question was. <laughs> well, we were talking about the favorite artists that you, favorite artists that you collect and, you know, multiple pieces versus, and you were just saying it sort of has happened by accident and not intentional in terms of collecting, right. you know. 
Well, we have a few by Lino Tagliapietra. He is a very well-known Italian artist, and we do have multiples by him. And again, Lino is someone who we've watched him work probably a dozen times now. And in 2010, I was co-chair of the Glass Arts Society conference that was held in Louisville, Kentucky, which is where we lived at the time. And we were I was told we could not get Lino Tagliapietra to come to Louisville to do a demonstration and to blow glass. And you know what? We got him there. And so we've seen him work at Center College. We've seen him work on Murano. We've seen him work in Louisville now. And we actually ended up, we got him into the Kentucky Derby. And not only did we get him into the Kentucky Derby, but we got him into the paddock. You know how you go in and see the horses before they go out on the track. We actually managed to get Lino in there. He had no idea how special that was. Now he knows, but at the time he didn't know. But anyway, so he's, again, it's the meeting the artist, watching the artist work, and that's what makes us want multiple pieces. So, but we do have several pieces. Uh, Preston Singletary is another artist we have multiple pieces of, and Preston right now has an exhibit at the Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian, which is one of the most spectacular exhibits that I've ever seen. And you I can't even describe it. You'd have to go see it because it's breathtaking in the extent of it and in the glass work that he's done. So he does Inuit art, which sounds like an odd thing to put into glass, but he blows and etches. And it is just spectacular. We have a a hat, a fisherman's hat, where if you look at it, it just looks like a piece of glass. But when you put light on it, it casts a shadow of all of these beautiful etchings, the Inuit art etchings that he has in this hat, and it just blows you away. Thus the name of the Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, so, wow. Uh, well, I want to get to the Smithsonian and see that exhibit. That sounds wonderful. It really is amazing. It's almost one a whole floor, and it's just spectacular. Mm-hmm. Well, so I have to ask this question. I don't mean, you know, merely when you agree to come on the show. You know, I generally try to make sure our guests enjoy themselves, and I try not to ask hard questions that bring up, you know, PTSD or trauma or anything like this. <laughs> But I'm sorry, Marilee, you, unfortunately, it's not your lucky day because I I just cannot resist asking this question that may stir up some PTSD trauma here, but I'm, but in, forgive me, I'm just going to ask for forgiveness now and not permission, (laughs) but have you ever broken one of your glass artworks? You should be asking my husband that question. <laughs> Surprise, you're still married. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oops. I can answer no. Okay. I've never broken it. Although that's not true. I did break a necklace recently. My Carrie Ferdig necklace, one of my favorites. But he has broken several pieces, I, and we are still married. <laughs> I can I can see the situation now. I, uh, you hear glass breaking in the background, and then you say that better that better have been a water glass. You know? <laughs> I think our our very worst experience when we lived in Louisville, we had Louisville has ice storms, terrible ice storms. And it was before we got a whole house generator, which we did right after this awful situation. We were without heat 
or electricity, basically, for 11 days. And when the heat came back on, and we survived, we wore all, you know, we played like we were in Antarctica. We just wore lots of layers. And then the heat came back on, and I remember the sound. And when I heard the sound, I thought, oh, man, I don't know what that is, but that does not sound good. And we have a very large cube that is made by John Kuhn that is, you'd have to see it, but it's got an interior core that just resonates. It's just brilliant. And then an outside crystal core, and it's a big square, probably, I don't know, maybe 14 inches square. And the metal that it sits on heated up faster than the glass, and it actually actually cracked inside the glass. Now, John came and picked it up and took it back to a studio and fixed it. And I'm doing quotes around the fix, because if you don't know that it was a problem, you can't see it now. We have it back. But that was probably the worst <laughs> of any of the, the breakages. So, well, so again, I'll, that sound I'll never forget. <laughs> Well, okay, we we don't have to talk trauma anymore. I just was I, I couldn't resist the temptation to ask that question, you know, because well, and I ask it in part because you know, as an art collector myself, I don't collect glass, but you know, and I had an art gallery for ten years. I mean, the reality is, moving art is always stressful, right? I mean, yes, it's just yes. at the end of the day, I just never want to be in the business of having to touch or move art ever again. <laughs> if I can be, you know, and so shipping art, moving art is such an ordeal. And, you know, and so, you know, moving into your cabin from Louisville, I mean, my goodness, I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk about the budget for shipping the art alone you know, to Asheville, because I'm sure between the insurance and the shipping, it was a pretty penny. It was like buying a new car. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a well, pretty nice new car. Yeah, actually, right, so. right. Yeah. Not a uh, Yugo, that's for sure. <laughs> if they, they even make Yugos anymore, I don't even know. But, well, that's incredible. I know. So you're happy nestled back in your new uh, log home with your incredible collection of glass artworks and your four grandkids running around and living close by. I mean, my friend, you have a beautiful life. You know, thank you, Scott. I feel very blessed in many, many ways. And being moving to Asheville is one of the ways I really do feel blessed because it offers so many opportunities to look at art, to experience art, to buy art, and to see artists. So it's really just a wonderful place to be. Well, you know, I was really enthusiastic and looking forward to you coming on the show, primarily, of course, because of our uh, mutual love for art. And, and specifically, I wanted to talk to you about, obviously, your collection and your passion for collecting. But, you know, I don't want to ignore or disregard, you know, your incredible life, even beyond collecting, because you've had this distinguished career as an entrepreneur. And, you know, we don't have to dwell on it, but I, I would love to talk a little bit about your journey as an entrepreneur, because certainly your success in business has helped to fuel your addiction to collection, <laughs> collecting on some level, right? And so, you know, you in 96, you won the prestigious Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award for Kentucky and Indiana, and you were inducted into the Entrepreneur of the Year Institute. I mean, what an honor. You know, it really was an honor and surprised me, actually. And oddly enough, that weekend when I was inducted into the Entrepreneur of the, I mean, to the Ernst & Young Institute 
for the entrepreneurship. The was also a weekend that Rick had a forensic engineering conference in Palm Springs, and there was a Chihuly exhibit at the Palm Springs Art Museum. So it was really our introduction to glass. And we went in thinking we were going to spend an hour. We ended up spending all day long there. I think we shut the place down and just mesmerized by the glass art. So that was the beginning of my entrepreneurship award, but also the love of my life and the love of glass sort of all came together at the same time. So it's ironic that at the one point in your career where your household income seemed to be going straight up, you took on two liabilities at the same time that... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe the valuation of your art collection has increased such that it offsets the you know all the other <laughs> all the other liabilities. I don't know. Anyway, Barely, this is such a, a fun conversation. You're fantastic. You know, one of the things I want to explore. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that you have donated pieces to museums. And, you know, as a serious collector, I mean, we, you know, we're so grateful to collectors, you know, you know, as as art lovers, we go to museums, we see collections and many times you see a, a placard with some attribution of, you know, thanks to, you know, this family or that family for donating this piece. So you have this opportunity to share your art with the world via your relationships with 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 various museums. I mean, what a special dynamic that is. You know, I would love to hear more about that because I know that it's certainly, you know, a complicated dynamic as well for various reasons. But talk a little bit about your relationship with museums like the Smithsonian, for example. The Smithsonian American Art Museum recently did ask us to donate a piece in our collection, which we did. And they put it in, it's in the permanent collection now in the Smithsonian, but it was displayed at the Renwick the Renwick, which is right across from the White House, for the 40th anniversary of that museum. And so what the Renwick did and the Smithsonian American Art Museum went back and looked at what was their permanent collection and found that most of the artists were white male. So they set about to find people of color and people of diverse backgrounds who were also artists and to bring their work into the museum. So they asked us specifically for a piece we had by Shea Rhodes, and Shay is the head of the Glass School at the University of Louisville. So we gladly donated that, and it is on display right now in the Renwick, pointing to the White House, and you can go see it through January of 2023. So I am becoming more involved with the Renwick Alliance. I certainly met people in that whole process because there was a huge celebration, which we went to. And so I'm now more involved there than I was before. And they've actually come to Asheville. Last summer, the Renwick Alliance led a group to come to Asheville. And then recently at the Penland Auction, the woman who is the new chair of the James Renwick Alliance was here. And so we got to spend time together. And I'm working with them on some programming now glass programming for the most part, but craft programming, actually. So, What a beautiful story and an honor to be able to help, shall we say, diversify the um, experience of artworks there in our nation's capital. 
Well, you know, that's we haven't talked about my Art 2025 project, but one of the things that the Art 2025 project is a project with Tim Tate and William Warmus and I, the three of us, have come together and have said, you know, there's something happening in the art world that is different that relates to this century. So this, we are coming up on a silver anniversary of the 21st century. So we have 25 years of this century that we are trying to take stock in and look back on and see how have we changed. And Scott, diversity is one of the noticeable ways that the art in glass has changed because it used to be If you look back in the 20th century, it was mostly white males. If you look in the 21st century, there's a lot of different people that are blowing glass and making glass and using glass. There's a lot of public art spaces that actually have blown glass and that have hot shops in different cities. And and people are expressing societal issues and political issues through art now we feel more so than they did in the previous century. So this entire project, what we're trying to do is get people to take stock in this 25 years, to use 2025 as a point that they will, we could actually have exhibits around the country, have discussions, have conferences, and of course have a big publication after that that also looks at how has art changed in this century and what role has glass played in it? Oh, that's very exciting. So where will this, well, I guess let me ask, I mean, so art 2025 will be sort of rooted in a exhibition that people can, will people be able to come and and see or what are the various elements that? Well, yeah. We're hoping exhibitions all over, and we just had our coming out party last Friday, and we had the curator of the Corning Museum of Glass on that call, and she already has her 2025 exhibit that is going to be displayed at Corning, and it's in a controversial area. It is glass that is used in the cannabis pipe industry, and that is something that when you start looking at some of these beautiful pieces of artwork, you would not know that they were pipes, but she's doing a whole exhibit. And that is representative of the kinds of different art that people are doing. So that'll be at the Corning Museum of Glass. The Wadsworth Anthenaeum, which is in Hartford, Connecticut, Brandy Culp is their curator, and she was on our coming out party as well. And she's doing a current exhibit that just opened this week, I believe, at the Wadsworth Anthenaeum. And it is glass that has been made in this century. So glass that's new now. So what we're hoping, we have a list of all of the museums in the world, and we are contacting them, and we are starting discussions, and we're trying to get as many people as possible to look at our, you know, our <laughs> premise, I guess, our concept, and to come up with things. So I think, and it's just at the beginning. So what I'm hoping is that we have a lot of activity around the world that starts in 2025 and maybe goes beyond that, but that actually is focusing on how do we change the world through art? How do we make the world a better place? 
How do we share the positives and the kindnesses and the goodness <laughs> and the beauty as opposed to negativity? So that's really our Art 2025 project. So it's not one thing, it's multiple things. Marilee, I have a very personal question to ask. How many hours of sleep do you get a night? Because I don't I don't <laughs> think that it doesn't sound like you sleep much. <laughs> this is it's incredible how productive you are. I like to lead an active life. It keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> Keeps your parole officer happy. You, you, you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Can't go back to the joint. I got gotcha. I got gotcha. Well, this, you know, and, and, you know, one of the, all the things that you do, I mean, one of the things in recent months is that you were elected to the board of the Penland School of Craft. I mean, again, what an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I haven't had my first board meeting yet, but uh, <laughs> it's coming up in November and I'm looking forward to it. That's incredible. That's fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, you they're lucky to have you, no doubt. And we're lucky to have you here on Artsville. This is fantastic. So talk about the one piece of glass art that's just out of your reach that you really, really, really want to acquire, but for some reason you just can't quite get there. <laughs> Either it's a little bit out of the budget or, you know, something is is a barrier to buying that piece. Is there a piece that you covet and just can't quite collect? Well, I mentioned Karen Lamont earlier and actually it's space now as opposed to other criteria, but we are limited in how many big pieces we can have just because we live in a log house. Sure, sure. <laughs> so I would say one of those Karen Lamont dresses I would absolutely love to have, but I just don't have any place to put it. We are, however, this is not art, but we are, I am the recipient of a birthday present from my husband, and it is an outdoor sculpture because now we have, we live on three acres, so we do have plenty of room outside. And so I don't know if you know Hoss Haley. He's a local metal artist, and he, Rick has commissioned a piece in honor of my 75th birthday that is, should be installed within the next month in our front yard. So quite a large, I think it's 12 feet high, quite a large a sculpture that's going to be outside, so not glass, but it's allowing us to continue our love of art on the outside as opposed to the inside. <laughs> art everywhere, all the time, please. More, more, more. I totally get that. And it is interesting, right? The various constraints that we have. And my wife and I, you know, I'm often buying, you know, art, and she says, We can't hang anymore. <laughs> what are we going to do with this? <laughs> Don't worry, I'll just, you know, put it over here with all the other pieces that we can't hang because it becomes a bit of an obsession, doesn't it? And it adds to that quality of life. We have a friend who is deceased now, but Leonard Light, very famous uh, glass art collector, who said, if you have to think about where you're going to put it, you're not a collector. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very, very true point. Very true point. It might be a good thing that my wife doesn't share my obsession, you know. <laughs> She's my yes. governor, right? Right. Oh, my goodness. This is fantastic. Oh, Marilee, I'm, I'm so grateful that you took time with us today to chat about your passion for collecting art and glass in particular, you know, it, it, there's a lot, you know, you have so much to say, you know, and I've hogged up a lot of the conversation. I mean, what's on your mind and heart right now that you would, 
you would love to express and you think people should know? Well, I mentioned the Art 2025 project. That's really at the top of my mind right now. And that is what I focus probably 80% of my time on right now is strategizing and thinking about how we can put art out there in a way that will make people really think about making this a better world in which we live. Fantastic. Well, what a wonderful positive note to end on today. Marilee Orsini, thank you so much for sitting down with us here at Artsville and talking about the power and importance of art and collecting. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Come visit us in Asheville. Oh, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) I will be there soon, and I look forward to meeting you personally, Marilee. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Artsville Podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share it with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Artsville is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles in partnership with Sand Hill Artist Collective in Asheville, North Carolina. Our theme music was created by Dan Ubik and his team at Danube Productions. Artsville is edited by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Artsville. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating American contemporary arts and crafts from Asheville and beyond. Artsville, Artsville, the happening town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, from Asheville town where art abounds. Artsville, Artsville, feeling mountain high and inspired in North Carolina. That's where you'll find us, amazing artists and designers.